Would you like to find out how to align your life with God's best? I'm Lisa Pulliam, founder of More To Be and host of this podcast. I believe that the more we seek and study God's word, the more he'll transform us to be like Jesus and equip us to impact this world with kingdom hope. That's what a life aligned with his best looks like. And that's our mission at More To Be, to become more like Jesus. This episode is sponsored by our More To Be Sisterhood. You can join the sisterhood at moretobe.com slash podcast and get access to a library of Bible study content and biblically-based coaching resources that will help you align your life with his best. On today's episode, I am joined by Ruth McKinney. She was the former Assistant Attorney General for the Commonwealth of Virginia, an Assistant Commonwealth Attorney, and she is now raising her five children along with her husband, Bob, on the restored historic farm in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Their love for hospitality is evident as is their home, uh, which is opened frequently for church groups, outreach events, and community gatherings. Ruth is the author of Hungry for Home, A Year Together at Hillside Farm, which you can learn more about at hungryforthenumberhome.com. Ruth also happens to have a couple of degrees of uh, separation from me in terms of family connections, so you'll hear about that today. And so, Ruth, welcome to the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Super fun, and I'm looking at you over Zoom sitting in your historic hillside kitchen. Is it cozy for you today or cold? Fire going and a blanket. I know, which I've learned from looking at your book are two key elements to a cozy home, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I would love for you to just kind of tell us about your family and and the journey that kind of led to this book. Really, it's and I have to offer a disclaimer first to everybody who's listening. Um, So I know of you from afar, right? We've never actually had a conversation, I think, before this. I don't think so. I don't think so. So um, for all of you who have ever heard me talk about the boarding school, uh, Ruth's family, extended family, also happened to work at the boarding school. So I have known of Ruth's kind of legacy and the traditions through multiple families that have really shaped and influenced my life. So as I was saying to you, Ruth, before I even looked at this book, is that I I didn't just see pictures on these beautiful pages uh, and your your little recipes and antidotes and, and traditions uh, through the lens of what you were writing, but it was like three-dimensional for me because I know how this has manifested in people who I've done life with and how their influence over me was way more pronounced than I thought it would be. So, so will you tell us a little bit like, about your family, your upbringing, the context before this book even came into being. Oh, you're actually going to make me cry because uh, <sighs> family is so formative, even extended family in who you are and who you become. So when Bob and I were married, we were living in Richmond. Mm-hmm. And within a few months of getting married, we learned that we needed to move up to Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia. And it was at that point, um, I, I was newly pregnant, that we based on circumstances and need, we needed to begin to flip houses. We didn't have um, enough money to, we hadn't sold our house in Richmond. We get up here, we met with the realtor and we told her what we could put as a down payment. And she literally burst out laughing. 
Oh no. Oh, I, I mean, and you know, what's funny is she now, cause we hold the record for her realty company, uh, for the number of buys and sells. And we laugh to this day that she's lucky. She's still our realtor, but she, <laughs> she came back to us two day, two weeks later and said, are you afraid of hard work? I had no idea what she meant by hard work. Mm. So she took us to a, a, a little, it, it, it was off of the Montgomery Scott estate. So it was a small, a small home that the help were living mm-hmm. and it was sliding off the foundation. It had one bathroom. I was pregnant. Um, it was, it was horrendous. And my husband said, let's go to Home Depot and learn how to do this. Wow. I burst into tears, went and literally sat in a restaurant and he said, we can do this. You're going to learn how to paint. You're going to learn how to design. I, you know, here I come from being a lawyer is my background. Yeah. Um, and he said, and I'm going to, I'm going to learn, try trial and error. And we began to sell houses every 18 months. We would, we would move, we'd find another old house. We'd flip it. We'd do it again. So all five, we have five children, all five were born in different homes. Mm. So were you living in the house you were flipping? Yes. And you know, it was, I have to tell you, because I'm not talking about throwing on paint. Mm -mm. I'm talking about walls coming down floors up all new plumbing all new electrical um there we had a joke whoever took a shower in the morning needed to wash the dishes that were in the bottom of the bathtub (laughs) often we had no kitchen for months and so it literally was wash the dishes after you wash yourself so um that was our that was how we got my word we just lived through a kitchen renovation that went really fast. Like we were without a sink for only about three weeks. So I can't imagine. Oh, well, and you know what? You, you really learn a lot about each other. Yes. Um, we would, before every flip, we would go sit in a Barnes and Noble because we didn't have to buy the books. We could just look at the magazines and take notes right. and we'd have a coffee and he and Bob and I would give each other our must haves you know, those things that are so important to us. And then the things that had wiggle room that we could compromise on. So that before a project even began, we were on the same page, which was really helpful because it's a stressful time. Yes. Especially when I had my first four kids in that first five years. And so, and then three years later, I had the fifth one, but it's, um, it's very stressful. Yes. Uh, so moving forward a bit of time, we were looking for a place. My mom had died of cancer uh, in her fifties. So this mm. 15 years ago, and I wanted a place that my father, I'm the oldest of six, but I wanted a place where he could have a guest house so that he never had to worry mm. about finances going forward. Mm. And we found this 300 year old farmhouse mm. outside of Philadelphia that, I mean, when I tell you it, it, there's actually two guest houses, but every home had to be completely done. It's mm. 100 years old. We're the fourth owners in 300 years, 320 years. Wow. And it's, there were trees growing to the third floor. Our basement was dirt. There wasn't a pipe that was working because they had all corroded to such a degree. Um, it was daunting. Yeah. So that's where yeah. things started here. That's amazing. And so how many years have you been in Hillside now? We've been in Hillside 10, but we've continued to flip a few others, even while living here. Take yeah. for instance, to give you, uh, we had a large barn on the property that apparently yeah. back in the fifties burned down. Okay. We wanted to rebuild the barn. So Bob said, let's go flip another house so we can go ahead and pay for the barn. So uh-huh. we've continued to do that, only not live through the process. 
Gotcha. That totally makes sense. And I love that you said that because, you know, as I'm looking through this book, I'm not a, I'm not a coffee table book mm -hmm. person. I, I don't go on Pinterest and look at what other people are doing because I've had a long history of coveting <laughs> what other people have. And I think that was a byproduct of living at the boarding school and never owning our own house always moving into somebody else's, always trying to make it my own. So you talk about painting. I've painted nine houses, mm -hmm. some, some of them multiple times um, and doing that hard work. Like that's been part of my life. But so I try to stop myself from looking. But as I'm looking, so as I'm looking at your book, I am seeing the end product. And what I love that you shared was that this isn't just the pages that you're looking at, like you, you've worked 10 years for those perennial gardens to look as beautiful as they are for the barn to be there. And you did hard work and sacrifice to even make the barn happen. Right. So for our listeners who are maybe like me and feeling like I want this, but I don't know how to make it happen. How do I get on the same page with my husband? How do I balance this with my motherhood? How do I deal with this with my career? What are some of those wisdom points you could share? First of all, it came with a lot of discussions with my husband. For us, there, it was a, there was a necessity to do it. So put your nose to the grindstone and just do it. I'm not saying it wasn't without a lot of sacrifice and, mm -hmm. and very hard. Um, our work started when the kids went to bed. Bob would then go to bed at two in the morning and leave for work at six. Wow. So it was, it was sacrifice, you yeah. know, but it, you don't have to end up in a place like we ended up in this farm. Yeah. You yeah. could be in a loft in center city. You can be in an apartment in New York city. You could, it's how do you create? So to me, the book isn't just about the structure of a house, right? Right. Because I am not interested in that. Yeah. I am interested. I have many friends who have beautiful structures. Yeah. And then home. Uh, you know, yes. Talking to one of my dear friends, he was actually, um, her husband was an NFL player. She has a lot of businesses and they both sat and wept with me. And he said, Ruth, we've lived in beautiful homes, but we, I haven't been able to give my wife, I mean, beautiful houses. I haven't been able to give her a home yeah. because we've moved so much or they just weren't, they weren't able to take the time to be intentional to make a home. Yeah. So for me, this book, isn't just about the structure, although I talk about that. Yeah. It's about what goes into it concerning your family that yeah. makes it a home. Yes. I'm glad you went there because that, I can tell you from just sitting with the book, mm -hmm. savoring. It was a savoring. I felt like your heart was touching my heart. Oh, it makes me cry because... Um, like I said to my girls, okay, I'm buying you each one of these books for your wedding because I want you to have this vision for the, the power of, of tradition, the power of connection, the power of intentionality, the demonstrative way to express love and, and commitment to one another that like to me leaps through your stories. And I don't know if that's my bias because some of your traditions touched my life at the boarding school 
not that they were the same as your traditions, but because of the family legacy that you come from that manifested in the family members that I did life with, they shaped me and gave me vision when I was raising my kids. Uh, And yet, because I've not had somebody verbally speak that over me and say, continue to do this, in the last six years of being here, I've lost some of that because I didn't know the deeper meaning. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. And it, you know, I had a woman from Richmond send me a long message and she said, you know, she had read it throughout the night and she said her husband came in the kitchen in the morning and she was weeping. Yeah. And he said, what's wrong? <laughs> he said, all I can tell you is I will never be the same again. Yeah. Which was so surprising to me because in, in large part, I take for granted what I've grown up with yeah. and how my family and my grandparents and my great grandparents they instilled this in us. Yeah. And yet it is for so many other families, it's missing. Not because they don't have a heart for it or a desire for it, but they don't really know how to start it. Yes. So, go ahead. No, so I want to I want to get specific because it's we're very abstract. But your birthday tradition, yes. tell 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 everybody about your birthday tradition, and then I'll give an example of how that was in my life. So well, it, I'll do that, and then at some point, if you want, I can tell you how the whole book came about. Which yes, yes, is the very yes. beginning of that. But as far as tradition, so we have a number of traditions, and one of which is our birthday tradition. Tradition, when somebody is going to have a birthday, we find out what their color of the year was. I mean, literally one of my daughter's colors was cheetah print one year. So we order a hundred balloons or we go buy a hundred balloons and we blow up while they sleep the night before we blow up a hundred balloons and we fill their room top to bottom. I mean, every surface is filled. So when they wake up, they're completely feel celebrated. Mm -hmm. Also the night before everyone in the family writes that birthday child, a letter and notes and we wrap their door top to bottom in letters from the family. Mm. Um, and so I'm telling you, if we miss anything, my kids are on me. Like, yes. I mean, I have two that have just started college and they're like, you're going to figure out a way to get this done. Right. Oh, <laughs> Actually, it's my second, my second daughter is at school and we just shipped the balloons to and organized so that it gets taken care of for her while she's in college. That but is just that kind of thing. We didn't have friend birthdays. We had family birthdays. Mm-hmm. So from the start of the day until the end, they get to choose their meals. When they turn 16, so 16 is a big year for us, it's kind of the coming of age in our family. And so for, t- for 16 hours, they get a gift every hour on the hour. So, I mean, it could be because I don't do sugar cereals. It could be their favorite box of sugar cereal. Like I'm telling you little things. And if they're in school on that day, their siblings go into their class and present with the next gift. So it's just, it's easy, right? I mean, literally, it could be my daughter loves this kind of gum and I wrap up that kind of gum for one hour. Um, So that's kind of the birthday tradition that we have. Yeah. So, and I love it because you could start it at any time in life. Any time, right? I mean, your kid could be 30 and you're like, you know what? I'm going to figure out how to do something. Exactly. So, so when my oldest is now 21, uh, when she was born, I decided that for her first birthday, uh, I was going to wrap her door and hang streamers from it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was probably a byproduct of what we did in the dorm 
when I was a dorm mom, we would do that for the girls. You'd always right. decorate the door for the birthday. So I remember doing that for Leah for a couple of years and Abby for a couple of years. I don't think I ever did it for the twins. So it would have been six years. And, and I know why you're looking back. I'm like, why did I stop? Because I believed this story, this lie that it's not sustainable, that, you know, this is excessive. You shouldn't have to do this. And I come from, from between my family of origin and my husband's family of origin, my husband's family is very downplays gifts and celebrations, like, um, really like not that they don't love people deeply it's just not their language of expression and my family is very much the same way so even though there was this thing inside of me that wanted to do all this I kind of listened to the don't right uh, and I you know I so that was part of my weeping ye yesterday in reading this was like dang it all those missed opportunities and yet then I'm like, okay, stopped with the missed opportunities, seize the moment. So here's, this is really funny. I, my son, who's 15, he, I'm sitting in the living room last night. It's the first time we're with each other. He's like, mom, where did all these Valentine's decorations come from? And I was like, oh, I've had them forever. He goes, I don't ever remember seeing them. And I was like, I used to decorate for every holiday. He can't remember he can't remember. And, and I was like, I don't think I've done that since, I don't think I pulled out these decorations since we moved here. And he said, well, why? They're, they're nice. Like, why wouldn't you do that? I was like, I don't know. I just felt like it was extra. Yeah. It was like too much. And, and I come from a worldview of like, life is really hard conserve your energy. Don't, don't be excessive. Like, and so I, I just was like, well, maybe I'm just being too much and I really shouldn't do that. And yet I love, I love pretty things. I love cozy spaces. It is interesting. You say that because I came from, you know, oldest of six, but a lot of very, very difficult times. My mom had cancer for 11 years. My brother, mm -hmm. had a heart transplant. I mean, there were so many, we lost our house. I, there were so many difficult things, but you know what gave me, I'm going to figure out a way to say this the correct way, gave me a sense of uh, roots. Yeah. Wasn't that they were able to buy us great things or right. we lived in a beautiful house. It was the family unit. Yeah. And that we knew we were celebrated and, and, we were a part of something bigger than ourselves and that yeah. was our family. Yeah. And so these celebrations that I'm talking about, they don't cost anything, but some balloons, yeah. <laughs> some yeah. paper that you can write on. And yet somebody feels incredibly deeply loved. Yeah. And, you know, we have, again, it's just another one of our traditions, but twice a year, we kind of, we, we have goal jar, a goal jar yeah. where we all yeah. sit down and we yeah. write our goals and it could be spiritual physical, you know, school-wise, that they have to write their goal down. And we also do a family mission statement. What's important to us as a family? Yeah. And then how do we live in that space? Yeah. So yep. that every time you feel, especially with five kids that I have, you, you can feel yourself getting off track. Oh, yeah. You kind of sit down and go, okay, let's all take a break. Yeah. What, what, where are we, where are we going wrong? Yeah. Um, 
we're not loving each other or others well right now. And so how do we circle it up and, and start over? But if you're not intentional, life has a way of literally running you over and you're, you're constantly on defense. Yeah. And, um, you know, this couple, when we first got married, they took us out and they said, if we could give you some advice, you and your husband go away twice a year. And I want you to talk about each of your kids and your marriage and where they're headed and what you need to do to help get them there. And it, it just, it took things. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's my controlling nature. <laughs> I love having a plan. I loved being in, in front of things as opposed to scrambling to, to catch up Yeah, and yeah. To, um, to be on purpose with my husband Yeah, really important. So yeah. Anyway, and I know there are single moms where they don't have that. Yeah. And so for them even to say, someone, can you watch my kids? I just need to sit and pray and think about each one of my children yeah. and how I can help where they are at right now. Right. So. I think it's it's so good. I mean, in the coach training and when I work with coaching clients, we talk about this to be response able as opposed to reactionary, but you use that word reaction. And we talk about values, which you talk about in the book about having family values. And uh, I'll link to this episode. We have a core values assessment that you can do as an individual to identify what are your values and how are they living out? I call them the silent partner. If you don't define them, they'll still be there. There's your family, whether you think you have a family culture or not, you have one. You have, you do. Absolutely. So are you going to be in charge of it or is it just going to, you know, (laughs) right. Right. And there's the challenge. I mean, and one of the family values that we have had has been people are more important than things. And that was established from the time that Leah was a little baby playing with a friend at Stony Brook, whose mama said, Caleb, you need to share with Leah because people are more important than things. And I said, yeah, that works. And to this day, if, if in our house, we said people, the mantra would be are more important than things. So how are we going to make our decisions out of that, uh, out of that? So go back and tell us, like, how did this book? Okay, I'll tell you. Two years ago, um, I'm involved in in a group that helps women discover their purpose, passion, and plan, and then equips them to walk in their purpose. And I was up at a conference in, with a friend up in Connecticut, and I was sitting at a table actually with Sally Lloyd-Jones, the, the author of um, uh, Storybook Bible, and a number of other very accomplished women. I felt very out of place. Mm-hmm. And here I am, a stay-at-home mom, so is my friend. And these women, they're running Fortune 500 companies. They're running the big stuff. Yeah. So we're watching up on uh, the platform is this panel of women. And one had, they, all of these women, the Lord was calling them out of their, their jobs to Whoa. some sort of ministry. And one had said, you know, I can do a spreadsheet in my sleep, but I don't know. I can't make a cheese board to save my life. Mm. Well, my friend Heather and I are driving home and we're both crying. And I said, you know, and I trying to add levity to the situation. I said, well, at least I know how to make a cheese board. Yeah. <laughs> You'll see if you look at the book, when you open it up, it's a cheese board. Okay. Yeah. So we began to talk, well, what is our purpose? What is our passion? And, and I, that year was the year my oldest went to college and I turned 50. So mm. it was two years ago. And I felt like the earth was shifting under me. And I, I didn't, I mean, I still had four kids at home. What, why was it shifting? And yet everything was changing mm-hmm. and my identity was 
getting hit from a variety of sides. Like, where do I head? Who am I after this? Who am I once I, my kids don't need me? Yeah. So we were talking in the car and I said, my only passions anymore are my family mm-hmm. and other people. What is that? That to me, what, what could I do with that? Nothing. Well, a few months later, my uncle Hubert was visiting and he sat me down in my living room and he said, I have a question for you. What are you 100% dependent on the Lord for right now? Whoa. And I said, you mean other than raising my kids and my, and whether we're all healthy? And he said, yeah, I said nothing. And he said to me, he said, Ruth, that is a problem. And he said, I'm going to challenge you to begin to ask the Lord to give you a vision beyond your resources Mm. so that only he can get the glory and so that you get the opportunity to watch him do it. Mm. Um, You know, I'm a type A personality. I was a prosecutor. I, you know, I I tend to, I like to control my surroundings and, and, you know, it challenged me. I got on my knees that night and I wept and I said, okay, Lord, Give me a vision beyond my resources. Uh Well, two months later, I get a call from a a friend uh, by the name of Sarah who said, I'd like you to come over to London and I want you to pray with me over one of our new houses over there. And I said, no, I had just thrown a wedding in my house and I didn't have the energy. And I actually had a migraine and I was laying on the floor right there. um, (laughs) And uh, Sally was also going to be there. And my husband prayed over me and said, if you're to go, let's just ask that the Lord make it very clear. Within a few minutes, she texted back and said, you are coming and I'm going to make sure you do. So Mm -hmm. I get on a plane two days later and Sarah took Sally and I to this little cafe or not. It's a farm, but it had a cafe in it outside of London. And she said, this is my favorite farm in the world. And they were getting to know me, asking me why my husband and I had flipped houses. And I said, you know, everyone's hungry for home. Well, they both stop. I mean, literally all conversation. They pick up their computers. One looks at the other and says, it's not out there. And I was like, what? And they said, no one's taken the name. And I was like, the name for what? And they're like, you're supposed to write a book. I was like, I'm never going to write a book. I'm not going to do it. I, I can't think of anything I'd less like to do. <laughs> because you know my family, my extended yeah. family. Everybody writes books. I... I, I I can't tell you how much I I would have said never, ever, ever. So they said, nope, you're supposed to do this. Well, I leave London. I come home. My sister's over and she says, how was your trip? And I said, you know, you're going to laugh. They said, I'm supposed to write this book. She starts to cry. And she said, you're supposed to do this. I said, do it. I'm not doing it. She says, just call my friend who's an author out in California and just have a conversation. Find out if this is something you could do a recipe, little book for your family for when they get married or if it's something bigger. Mm-hmm. So Jessica and I were talking and she said, this is so much bigger. May I fly out there this week? So she flies out here, interviews our family and says, you know, I believe this is much bigger because this hasn't been done. There's been decorating books, cooking books, yes. you know, yes, the whole thing, but there hasn't been something, a creating home. So, um, she says, before I leave, she said, I'd like to help you put this together, but before I leave, I have two gifts for you. Okay. You ready for this? She says, I opened the first one and it's a teapot. And she said, every time you think about writing, I want you to have a cup of tea and I want you to write. I said, well, it's not going to happen. I don't like tea and I'm not going to write. So (laughs) before you open the second one, your sister and I, and I hadn't told her about my trip to London. It just hadn't come, uh, come up. We looked all over town 
for a book that in our minds represented what you would put out if you had your ideal book. Mm -hmm. I open it up and I said, where is this? She said, I have no idea. We open the book. It's the farm Sarah had taken us to outside of London. Oh my God. <laughs> Bruce. Every place in the world. I didn't uh. even cookbook. I had no idea. Well, I burst into tears and I said, okay, Lord, you have my attention. Yeah. I seriously. feel obedient and I will be, here's the thing, Lord, this is definitely a vision beyond my resources. I, I can't write. Well, I mean, other than legal writing, I, I have no desire to do it. I don't know how I would get this published. I mean, I give the Lord all the, the, the list of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we began to do is she and I would write together. She had put an app on my phone and she would send me a list of questions every Monday night, which I would speak into my phone and it would transcribe onto her computer. And we did this for seven months. Wow. And then a friend came to me and said, I'd like to photograph. Um, so it, it really had, it is all God. I can't take the credit. Yeah. I can't, which isn't that is so refreshing because it's also like, Lord, you're responsible for who gets it, who doesn't. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, right. My economy of success and yours are very different. So it's all up to you. Yeah. And it's just been so fun to, to look at it and go, you did it. Yeah. Lord, you yeah. Did it. And thank and you for letting me watch and be a part. Yeah, he did. And as I was flipping through the pages, I mean, I was expecting Martha Stewart, right? right? Or Better Homes and Gardens. Right. But the as I read your words, which it wasn't that your words are like this big poetic and Voss campy, like deeply spiritual thing. It isn't me. Uh-huh. All right. It was simple. It was simple. It was, I felt the Holy Spirit saying. Lisa, you can emulate this in your heart. You can carry this out in your home. And, and it's not too late. Like I, as I woke up this morning thinking about it, it was so refreshing to think about that as opposed to a gazillion other things lately um, of, okay, I've got three more years left with Luke and Caitlin, two and a half. What does that look like with them? What does it look like as my children marry, but come home? Yes. which they will be hungry for. What does it look like? I've had um, a dream for the last five years since we moved to this beautiful place of having my own farm where there's a hospitality barn, just like your barn, right? And and we've been looking for properties for the last five years and we can't afford them. And And so this constant pull between, well, if I can't have that, the same thing, the Lord says this to me over and over again, Lisa, if this is the desire of your heart, do it where I've placed you. Yes. Stop looking for it to be with a promise you'll do it then and do it now where I have put you. Yes. And, and so it was just, I feel like you fueled that fire for me again of to obey God in the present uh, to to choose as you, you know, you shared some scriptures with me that I really want to dive into, but choose this day who I'm, I will serve and who, how I will serve. It's not, a, it's not been a question for decades now of who I will serve. It will be the Lord Jesus Christ, but how will I choose to serve him in the way I serve my family? I appreciate you saying what you said about getting discouraged about it, because one of my dear friends, who's a single mom, 
she had asked to read it. This is before it came out. I didn't hear from her for a week. Yeah. And she finally called and she just started crying. And she said, I need to tell you, I've had a very hard week after reading it. Yeah. And she said, because it's everything I ever would have wanted to be able to do or have. So both things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, until today, I woke up and said, wait a second, what it's given me is hope. Yeah. Because it's about right now, where you're at, yeah. what your family looks like right now. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be you're a grandmother and you want to do this for your grandchildren. Yeah. It could, I mean, it, it isn't about, I, I go back and I was interviewed by a, a newspaper writer and she said, what do you say to everyone who thinks you have the perfect life? Right. And I said, first of all, no one has the perfect life. But what I do want is to create a safe space to not be perfect. Right. Right. For my family, <clears throat> excuse me, to have a home to return to after they've messed up and to want to return to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so anyway, it's just, I never want to give the impression of look at me. I have it all together. So they call me the spiritual Martha like that. I don't, I don't want to look like that. I want it to be, it's about family and home. You know, my uncle, and I'm just going to say this before you dive into the verses, just because we had a family reunion and this same uncle Hubert, he, he, gave a quote at the reunion and I wrote it in the book and I, I just have to feast on it and think about it because again, it requires being intentional as a mother, but it, it, he said, every family needs to be rediscovered. We need pioneers who ask hard questions about priorities and want to be more like a mountain stream that carves rock than a meandering muddy river close to the sea with clear direction, fiercely pursued with persistence, overcoming obstacles, climbing rocks, and reaching the summit. Mm. That, you know, that's the kind of family that I, see, I'm going to cry, that I want to be a, to help be a part of. Yeah. And that comes with a lot of intentional work. Yeah. (laughs) It comes from creating the door and then being safe, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I wouldn't call you the spiritual Martha Stewart. I would actually call you this generation's Anne Ortland. Mm. So years ago, um, well, let's see, probably 15 years ago, I believe it was before the twins were born. I read a book, Disciplines of a Beautiful Woman by Anne Ortland. And I read it because like the homemaker hero at the boarding school had a daughter that was a teenager who I loved being with. And I went to her and I said, how, how have you managed to keep your home and raise your children the way you have? You know, what do I need to do to raise my daughters to be like your daughter? And she's like, let me give you this book. And I poured over this book in like three days and it became like a manual for me because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I, I grew up in a home, a good Italian home that was very good at cleaning, but not great at hospitality. And not great at meeting heart needs. Everything was was about the business of getting the thing done, not about the relationship and the process. And so I, I, you know, very much so Anne Ortland has become about the, the disciplines of the heart, my spiritual growth, my intentionality, my um, working unto the Lord, like the mentoring discipleship of hearts and minds. But what was missing and what has been missing from my life 
is the, how does this look in creating space and experience and memories and traditions? Like that wasn't part of what she was intending to teach. So I feel like if I take Disciplines of a Beautiful Woman and your book and put it together, this, this is who I want to be. And, and so this is what my vision is now of what I can give to my daughters and how I could, if my son was to be married at some point, bless his wife and support her and say, here, there's heart and home. And, and here's how you bring both of these things together under the Lordship of Christ. Amen. Because you can get bound in either one, right? Yes. Totally over-focused. You know, I think I put in my book on one of the uh, recipes, my mom didn't cook. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> we used to joke if she did a cookbook, it'd be called Dried and Blackened. I mean, like we seriously. So, but what she had was a heart for people. Yeah. And I am much more... Um, I'm a Martha and not a Mary. And I've had to really work at, because I do love creating space that I could get bound up in the perfection of it. Yeah. And so what I have had to learn is for people to rest with me, I have to let that go. Yeah. And to let them be, a, to be vulnerable, not just emotionally with them, but with my home and it not being perfect all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that it, it's hard. It's hard. It's not it is hard. you can just all of a sudden become. It's, Lord, give me the grace to do it. I know. I know. And it, when we were at Stony Brook, it was, it was easy to let go of the Martha in me and, and become more of the Mary. Because where we lived, especially in the last five years, the back doors were open often. It was to the field. Um, and so we, people would drop in all the time. So are the closest people were the ones that would drop in. So they would see the real stuff like the laundry baskets and the sink and the counters. And it's interesting how you have to experience that to get used to that. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Well, on that note, because we, you know, some of my family, yeah. we were at dinner one night and my cousin Amy calls us who was at yeah. Stony Brook yeah. and says to me, wow, these are great Oreos. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? are you having Oreos? And she's like, in your kitchen. <laughs> she, <laughs> she would come, just walked into my house. She goes, I know I can come to your house anytime. Oh, that's awesome. That's totally <laughs> Amy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she used to be one of those yeah. drop-in people. And, and so, you know, that's a whole other podcast of how to become, how to create a drop-in community when you don't live on a campus together. Yep. Right. And now in COVID <laughs> where, you but know, again, if you do it, you know, I have a recipe for chocolate chip cookies. If I open my freezer, you would see I've made cookie balls that are all frozen that I take out every day when the kids come home from school, or mm-hmm. if a friend stops by, they're warmed up immediately. Just something to show preparation that didn't take time, but shows I care. Yeah. So it's little things like that. And uh, I have sources that tell me you have the best chocolate chip cookies <laughs> ever made. <laughs> My husband has had your chocolate chip cookies and he is, uh, yeah, he loves those. <laughs> so when he saw that book, he said, is the recipe in there? I was like, okay, yes. I have to tell you, my friends have all been like, that's the price of the book right there. Is right there. Is it, that's what it's like, how could you have done this to us? You've given it away. And I'm like, but the whole book is about bless, right? Yeah. How yeah. can I not give it? <laughs> yeah. 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 So that is on the to-do list for this weekend is to actually make chocolate chip cookies yes. with my daughter and not, um, not by myself. So 
So I want to like bring us into the home stretch here. Mm-hmm. You shared three passages with me that I sat with the Lord on this morning and really, you know, I, I always talk about reading scripture in context. Mm-hmm. And so turning to Joshua 24, uh, the Lord's covenant renewed. And so, you know, context here is that uh, Joshua summoned all the tribes to give this kind of challenge and this commissioning of who will you serve and, and why. And so um, I'm just going to pick up uh, from, let's see, I'll pick up uh, at verse 14. Actually, I'm going to back up a little bit. Uh, verse 11 uh, says, when you crossed the Jordan River and came to Jericho, the men of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. Like, I think the Lord just made the names for us to have challenge over. But I gave you victory over them. I sent terror ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your swords or bows that brought you victory. I gave you the land you had not worked on. I gave you the towns you did not build, the towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. And and I, I wanted to start with that passage because as I had read your book, you talk about these seasons and the, the timing of the planting and the the years of dormant, you know, the dormancy that we go through. Well, it's that verse that says, will yield its fruit in its season. That is so important to me because you don't, you're not fruitful all the time. No, but so much is going on that you cannot see. Right. So it has to do with that. Yeah. 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 And that, you know, if we kind of take pause and say, okay, so where am I? What season am I in? And we're going to have, it might be before this episode comes out, Jennifer Dukesley is talking about her new book coming out and she talks about these seasons and the importance of the dormant seasons where there isn't growth. And, and so I look back at the last, you know, six years of this house, this time in this house, and I could see, okay, there was, so there was a dormancy in parts of my life where I didn't decorate and I didn't celebrate, but maybe it's time for a new season where, I can create some new plantings and, and give that time to see what will come. And yet this reminder that God has given us is, is a part of it. Like, where is he working in it? And so then verse 14 says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So we have plaques of that. My great-grandfather made plaques, and we have plaques of that around my house. Yeah, yeah. And how, you know, how do you see that playing out? Um, someone once said to me, you know, your faith isn't separate from who you are. It is who you are. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, I think it, it isn't church on Sunday for us. It is life. It is at conversations. It all comes. I'm, I remember saying to my mom, why does it always have to be about God? Yeah. Every moment with you, you know, and she said, because it all is. Yeah. And I think when you live that out, 
and you've made a commitment as parents, you know, I know that I am the recipient of generational prayers. Mm-hmm. And um, so to me, there it is a stamp I have put on as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah. And um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. And it, and it, it's a commitment and it's interesting to me because in the remaining passage of Joshua, which is the last chapter of Joshua, he asks them and they say three times, no, we will serve the Lord. No, we will serve the Lord. And then it's fascinating. The church that we attend uh, has just started a study of the book of Judges, which is the next book here, right? And, and it's right after the death of Joshua. And I don't know what the timeline is in terms of years, but basically one chapter later in scripture, the people failed to fully obey the Lord. And each of the tribes did not conquer the land that they went into fully, but they became part of that culture and that land that they were in. And so I just, the timing of studying this, (laughs) I was like, I'm paying attention, Lord. (laughs) Well, you know, one of the verses that I didn't give you dealt with, we will tell the next generation. We will yes. tell the next generation. And, you know, when we've had family reunions, we have a huge family. So it's, we, our last one was two years. We had 150 people here for four days, but we had the big six, which is my father and his siblings all speak on different nights. And to tell the generations of God's yes. faithfulness, and it is yes. so important so that you know not only what family you belong to, but you know whom you belong to. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, but that comes from, I mean, obviously you can come to the Lord later, and, but I have a responsibility because of what I know. And yeah. he told me to tell my children. And that has yeah. to do with, you know what? We've gone through hard stuff and look at his faithfulness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, for me, totally different perspective, right? First generation believer. There is no other believer in my family line, as far as I know. It starts with you. It starts with me. And, you know, Joshua, you, we get the symbolism of the stone of remembrance from this chapter 24 of Joshua, where he laid a stone beneath the tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord and said, this stone has heard everything the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word with God. Well, that he uses a stone. I mean, because throughout scriptures, the stones cry out like they. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so years ago, I heard that this taught and I, I have this vase that I picked up in a thrift store and a, a jar of rocks next to it. And when the Lord accomplishes something in our life, we put it on a stone and it goes there and it's sitting next to our dining room table. And I, the best part of that was when we moved was packing up those rocks and then unpacking them and, and proclaiming again to the kids, like, this is what God has done just in the last decade. (laughs) Right. And so we can start that tradition at any point. Yeah. So you had two other passages. Um, Which one do you want? Well, tell us about this word bless and what it means to your family. So, as I said earlier, my great grandfather did plaques and one of, uh, we had two family mottos for generations. One is bless and one is together. Mm. And we have placed bless, little bless plaques all throughout our property in our sport court. When they laid the concrete, we put it on the four corners. When you leave our property, I had a sign painted that says bless. 
Um, it's mentioned over 500 times in scripture. The importance of um, being a blessing no matter what you have or don't have, right? Well, there's that scripture that says, I have no silver and gold, I have none, but what I have, I give. And it is blessing comes from who you are and, and just giving and blessing people. And so that to me, you know, has been part of my whole life. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's always these, these signposts, these reminders that you, you have said, okay, this is what we do. We bless. Mm-hmm. Right. I love it because you don't corner the market on it. No. And so <laughs> there, like, that's what I was thinking in that moment. I was like, well, I want that to be our family word. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> I know. And I was like, Lisa, there's nobody stopping you. Like, this is a catch the vision from Ruth and her family. Let this be a biblical mentorship moment and, and pass. Yes. Like, give it. Like my cookies, put it in the book and give it away. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You have blessed so many through that. So, so this uh, Jeremiah 29, you share know, this with us. So many know this. Right. Plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you to give you a hope and a future and not to harm you. And that, you know, it's just tied up in everything, right? He has prepared things in advance for us. So why aren't we asking him? Why aren't we on our knees saying, Lord, give me a vision beyond my resources. You've prepared something. Yeah. I don't want to miss it. Yeah. And if we get caught up in what we deem our parameters, you know, we deem our lack of resources or our, our, you know, our station in life, we can't do it, or we can't do this, or I'm not equipped. Well, guess what? He equips the ill-equipped. Yeah. And so ask him, he will show you. And then you get to have a front row seat to see what he's going to do. Right. Right. And I think that with the timing, like when I reread this passage, this was the part that stuck out to me it was verse 10. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised and I will bring you home again. And, you know, the next verse is what we know for, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they're plans for good and not for disaster to give you hope in a future. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. Know, and I think so many of us get caught up in, in what has been broken and why we can't move forward. I love the verse, you will restore the years to the locust of Oh, yeah. That doesn't mean from here on out it's going to be good. It means he's going to restore what has been broken. Yeah. I love that because there is no, you know, my dad is always saying this, the Lord intends to profit from everything. Yeah. That even means what we've blown. That even means yeah. the mistakes. That, as long as you give it to him, he is going to use it for your good and his glory. So then why are we so afraid of it? I know. I know. I, I, let me watch you do it because I don't know how to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it because you're passing down what you has been imparted to you. And it's those statements, like what your dad has said and your uncle has said, and your mom has said that has shaped you. And so I just think that we can't miss that. Like, who are we right now? If we are in a, a land of captivity for 70 years, and we get so focused on 
the end game, right? On the yes. He is far more interested in the process. Right. What is going to get you there and the growth that takes place and and what he's going to show you. He, he's already got all the rest covered. It's yeah. The process. You know that verse that says, my dad used to say, wait on the Lord, have strength and courage, wait on the Lord. Ruth, what is repeated? Wait. He's yeah. working in the waiting. And I just don't happen to like the waiting part. No. That's, no. It, it is growing. You know, when are you going to thank him for the suffering? What does that even mean, dad? You know, and yeah. your mom is thanking him for the cancer. So when are you going to understand that the cancer is bringing about things in each one of us that nothing else could do. Mm. Thank him for it. And so it's just, anyway, we have so gotten off topic from my wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I can go all over the place. So I know, but it is, you know, to tie us all back in, in, in all, like you, your last passage that you had shared with me was Hebrews 13. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for some who have done this have entertained the angels without realizing it. And I, I think that is such a picture of what you're calling us to through this book of in it right now, demonstrate love through the way you entertain strangers and, and family in your own home and see it as uh, I, I feel like my home is my first mission field. Amen. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we think of the mission field as what we go to, but who can we invite in by, by sheer privilege of having even a space to rest our head at night, right? Well, and I think that I, I want to make sure people understand this. You're a homemaker, even if you work full time. Oh, yeah, yeah. It has nothing to do with being a stay-at-home mom. This has to do with who's in charge of the development and growth of your home and the who's in it. Yeah. If I may read the last page of the book, because I think yes. it kind of gives it all in summary. It says, no matter how wonderful and comfortable our homes are, they will, nev will never fully satisfy our longing for something more. That something more is a heavenly home, a home where all fears are stilled, all needs are met and loveliness or loneliness is a distant memory. In the words of C.S. Lewis, the fact that our heart yearns for something earth can't supply is proof that heaven must be our home. Mm. All of us homemakers can accomplish only so much through our efforts to fill a void that only heaven can truly fill. These efforts, however, are important and the ability to make others feel loved, welcome, and cared for during their journeys through life is one of the greatest gifts we can give. As we part ways, know that you are blessed. You are blessed to feel truly at home wherever you are, blessed to make a home wherever you are, and blessed to be a blessing wherever you are and whoever you are with. Mm. That's just beautiful. And that, that captures, I feel, what you you set forth a vision. And my my hope and prayer is that the women who are listening, maybe even the men, uh, because this isn't just a female journey, this can be a, a male journey too, very much so, would, would see opportunity in a, in a fresh new way without falling into the trap of comparison or self-loathing or shame or guilt or regret or any of those things that always are in arm's reach if we want to grab and hold on to that instead of truth. And so... Yes, um, so. Way too. Yeah, yeah. So 
Ruth, would you remind everybody where they can find this awesome book? So it's at www.hungry4home.com. And the website is at hungry4home. Those two places. Or that is. And it's on Amazon, which we'll definitely link to it so people can find it. And would you mind uh, closing us in prayer? Thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. Oh, Lord, you know the plans you have for each and every person is listening to this call. Give each person a vision beyond their resources. Don't let their present circumstances or their station in life determine the vision that they have. And I just thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. I thank you that you love us. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ruth, for being with us today. So much. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the More To Be podcast. I pray you've experienced a fresh encounter with God and His Word during your time with us today. If you're ready to take the next step in aligning your life with God's best, but not sure what that looks like, head over to moretobe.com Align to take our quiz and find out. You can also join the sisterhood at moretobe.com slash podcast and get access to our library of Bible study content and biblically-based coaching resources. May you continue to think biblically and live transformed to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in His work every day and align with